step out of the grave break into the wild and don't be afraid run into wide open spaces grace is waiting for you dance like the weight has been lifted grace is waiting where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there is freedom where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom there is freedom come out of the dark just as you are into the fullness of his love for the spirit is here let
It is so great to see you all here this morning. My name is Jen Schulte, and in case we haven't met before, I'm the communications director here at Westgate. Just wanted to welcome you here, and if you are new, I want to give you an especially warm welcome. We're just really glad that you chose to worship with us here this morning. And um, we have some online friends as well. Want to say hello and good morning to you. Why don't you guys drop a comment and let us know that you're here worshiping with us online. Um, hopefully by now you guys have had a chance to get your sermon notes and communion elements. Those are out on the tables and the entrances. Or another really great way to access the sermon notes is through our Westgate app. So you just simply go to the Sundays tab and then on the um, Sundays tab you'll find sermon notes and those are fillable um, for you. So same, same ways, you can take notes just like you would on a piece of paper, you can do it in the app. The other thing, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and um, fill out the Connect card for us. Let us know you're here. Let us know if you have any prayer requests, any special needs. That's a great way for you to communicate with us and let us know that there's something, um, something that you want prayer for, something that's on your heart. Um, Additionally, though, if you are new or a guest, I'm going to ask if you could um, fill out one of the connect cards that connect cards that is in the seat backs in front of you. And then once you're done filling that, at the end of service, you can take those out to the um, guest center. There's somebody there that would uh, friendly face that can greet you, answer any questions you might have about Westgate, and also have a small gift for you um, just to say thanks for coming and, and again welcome you here to service. Online friends. You're going to want to access the sermon notes and connect card as well. And those are available as links below the live stream. So I'm going to invite you to pull those up and fill the, that card out as well. All right. And one last thing as a reminder, next week in between services in the W Cafe is our life group sign-up event. So some leaders will be there. Adam Just, our uh, Adult Ministries Pastor will be there, and we're hoping that you're going to be there, too. Um, we'd love to invite you to, to um, come check out Life Groups. They're a great way to get connected into um, Westgate. It's a next step. Um, we really believe in doing life together, and that's really one of the best ways to do that. So I want to invite you to that. Again, that's next week. All right, I'm going to invite my friend Sean out to say some prayer for us as we continue in worship. All right, would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we come before you this morning, humbly. We come before you to truly glorify your name. As we are here in this place and we are blessed as a church family to be able to call you Savior, Father, to be able to put our trust and our faith in you, no matter what we face in this world, you hold the control, you hold the keys to this life, and you've already won. So, Father God, as we come before you this morning, we worship you with whole hearts as we love on you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. See my victory. 
a mountain, you see a mountain move. And as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe. There's nothing impossible
know, as uh, we sing that song, I'm reminded of what we've been uh, studying together as a church in the book of Ephesians over the past many weeks about the spiritual battle that uh, each of us faces. And as you think about that battle, the, the scriptures tell us so clearly that we're in a battle that is far above our own heads, far above our own strength and our own ability to overcome it in our own strength and our own power. And we spent a lot of time as we looked at the armor of God and talking about that section of scripture about how the strength that we need and that we have at our disposal is the strength that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And here's the, the encouraging thing as we were singing this song this morning, it just is such a stark reminder to me that, you know, the truth is, is that that battle has already been won. Amen. I mean, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he conquered sin and death. Literally, he put his footprint right into that battle and said, this is mine. And the battles that we face today, what, we, what I believe we get to enjoy is this beautiful picture that while Christ has already won the decisive victory, we are invited by him to join him in a new life with him in this battle, with his strength, with his power, overcoming evil in this world and going out and sharing good news. But all of it can only be done because of what he already accomplished for us on the cross. And this morning as we worship together, we come to a time of communion where we focus on that beautiful truth that Jesus' death and his resurrection is the very thing that enables us to overcome, to overcome sin and death, to live forever with God, to live victorious in this life over sin. And so this morning, as we take time to come to this time of communion, I believe that one of the most important things that we can and should do each time is to take a time to reflect and to pause and to ask God and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to search our hearts, to ask the question, is there any sin or anything that is offensive in me? Is there any impure thoughts or impure motives or things, God, that don't align with your heart and your will for me? And to take time and to confess that sin as part of our worship, recognizing the beautiful gift that we have been given through Jesus' death on the cross. And so... Let's take just a few moments before we have a time of worship and communion together uh, to pray silently where we are, to ask the Lord to search our hearts and to use this time to confess any sin to him and make our hearts right with him. Would you bow your heads and let's quietly pray together. sending your son Jesus into this world and for loving us so much, God, that while we were sinners and have sinned against you, that you, Father, would 
give everything on our behalf to reconcile us in a relationship with you. We thank you, Father, that it's not our own righteousness or our own works that makes us right before you, but that it is the very righteousness of Jesus himself as his blood was shed on that cross, as his body was broken. That, Lord, when you look at us, as we place our faith and trust in you, that you don't see us in all of our brokenness and sinfulness, but your word tells us that you see the sacrifice of your son and his righteousness, which covers over our brokenness. We thank you for that. And Father, we come to you this morning with hearts that are soft, hearts that, Father, desire to honor and to worship you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of any sin that would be present in our lives, that, Lord, you would cleanse us from sin, but, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit as well, that you would enable us to overcome sin and to overcome the evil one who wants to trip us up and to keep us from walking with you, and that, Father, you would give us the strength and the ability to honor you with our whole hearts and our whole lives that truly, God, you align our priorities with the priorities of your son, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this time of worship and remembering, Lord, we give you all of our hearts and all that we are thankful for the gift that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. It says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember together as an act of worship, as we eat this bread, how Jesus gave all of who he was on the cross for us. Let's take together. says in the same way after supper that Jesus also took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together with thankfulness for the sacrifice of all that Jesus poured out on our behalf, but with the reminder that he will come again and we will reign victorious with him. Let's drink together. Father, thank you. And we worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. left a crimson 
sin, taking our shame. God, for your sacrifice, 
Lord, you are worthy of our praise simply because of who you are. But God, what you did, it just overwhelms me. It just mesmerizes me, Father. You died for us while we were still your enemies. While we hated you, you died for us. While we spit on you, Father, and we, we pierced your hands, pierced your body, you still chose to die for us. But I pray that our hearts and our minds would be fixed upon you this morning, Father, be fixed upon you every single day, and teach us your truth this morning, Father. Teach us the one and only truth. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you, Adam and the worship team. Good morning, Westgate family. My name is uh, Pastor Dave, and I'm the executive pastor here at Westgate Chapel. And uh, I have the pleasure of being up with this uh, highly esteemed group here uh, for the Ask the Pastors session. So we have Pastor Steve from High School Students. We've got Pastor Dan, who uh, leads the charge with the middle schoolers, Pastor Adam, uh, it's the adult ministries pastors and really focuses in on life group connections, etc. And Pastor Rob, lead pastor and all sorts of stuff that goes with, uh, with that. Okay. Truly a pleasure to be here. If you remember last year, I came out with a spear, which was uh, definitely meant to keep this group in line. But uh, we got another year under our belt, and I feel like we're going to do just fine without the spear. Is that why we ran over last service? Because you didn't have the spear? <laughs> I'm just putting two and two together. Yeah. Bring it. Okay. Maybe a full-on sword this time. Okay. The, uh, just a little bit about the process. We have a hand, I just I want to thank this group, this body of Christ, for sending in so many questions. Really appreciate it. It came in from a myriad of different sources and ways, and we tried to uh, pull out a handful of those that, uh, that we saw in many different ways, shapes, and forms, and to crystallize them into a couple of key questions. So uh, that's what we're going to do. I do anticipate that we'll be following up on some other ones as we unpack sermons going in the future, things like that. So more to come. And again, thank you for your questions. So with that, no spear in hand, let's, uh, let's, let's jump into them. I'm going to sit down. It's all good. Okay, so I hear many people praying to Jesus and often closing with, in your name, at the end of the prayers. I see in Matthew 6 that Jesus taught his disciples to pray using the model of the Lord's Prayer, which he prayed to the Father. Some other examples of that as well. And really the question behind this, the question that's being raised is, what is the biblical, what biblical evidence is there to pray not only to the Father, but also to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, so real quick, before I get into that answer, um, I would like everyone to think really quick about how you address God when you go into prayer, um, right? And so just take a second. Think, all right, y'all got it, because we all know like how we address God often when we go to prayer. And if we had like little think bubbles that popped up over our heads right now, we would see a bunch of different variations of how we address God um, when we go into prayer. Um, you know, it could be, dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, um, dear Daddy God, if that's how you talk to him. Um, no weird. judgment here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Uh, 
that's how you do it. Cool. No, no judgment. Yeah, yeah. Still love you. Uh, a little weird. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of different variations of how people address God. Um, and this question, I think it's good because I, I think when you look at it, um, Scripture is pretty clear. When you look at Jesus' teachings, like uh, Dave just said, um, of how he teaches it to his disciples and the people around him. In the book of Matthew, right, he says, you know, go into your room, close your door, and pray to the Father. Um, and then soon after that, he says, you know, this is how you should start your prayer. Like, our Father, you know, heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, and so Jesus is teaching them, like, this is how you pray to God, your Father. Um, and if we stopped right there, that, that would be like, okay, like, that's how we should start every one of our prayers, right? Praying to the Father. Um, but there's more to it than just that. Um, and as I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about how Jesus was right there with his disciples. Um, and so it wouldn't make sense for him to say, hey, also pray to me while, while I'm here with you. Um, because what's prayer at its core? It's a conversation. It's communication with God. And as we know, Jesus is God on earth in the flesh. And so they had this opportunity, this rare, amazing opportunity to talk to God, Jesus, face-to-face, in person, in the flesh. So they had questions they could ask him. When they were struggling, they could be counseled by him. Um, and so they had Jesus there with him. Um, and then when we see when Jesus leaves them um, and he ascends, right, so he's, his death, his resurrection, he comes back to the, the disciples, gives them their, their marching orders um, to spread the gospel, and then he goes to the, to the right hand of the Father. Um, there's examples of after post, right, Jesus being there, like not in the flesh anymore, of them reaching out to Jesus in, through prayer. And uh, a great example is uh, the martyr Stephen. As he was being martyred, he said, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And some translations say he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then um, also uh, Paul on the road to Damascus um, has this interaction with Jesus, right? He, people are there, like, they, they can't see anyone, like, there's no one there, but there's this communication between man and Jesus, man and God. Um, and also Ananias, a little later on in that passage of, of Ananias communicating with Jesus. Um, and then we see in, in Corinthians as well, um, Paul uh, is telling the church to call on the name of Jesus Christ, and so there's these examples of Jesus teaching, pray to the Father, and then when Jesus leaves and he's no longer in the flesh, that those people who spent time with him and, and were in with him with real life, communicating with him after he's no longer with them. Um, and then, also I feel like I need to hit on the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and something I've been doing, and just a little like side note, in my own life, a lot of times we say the Holy Spirit. And I feel like we lesson who the Holy Spirit is. And so in my own life, I were at the Life Conference, and we heard this lady say, like, Holy Spirit. I was like, man, that's good. Like, saying, like, like I talked to Dan Russell. I didn't talk to, like, the Dan Russell. Like, it's just, it's personal. <laughs> and so, like, trying to say, like, you know, Holy Spirit has a real purpose in, in who God is, right? He's equally a part of the Trinity, right? The, the pie is split perf- perf- perfect. No pies, and there's no other, like, the Father isn't more God. Jesus isn't more God. They're all equally God. And scripture is so clear in explaining that to us. Um, and also we see that, right, the Holy Spirit helps us with our prayers. Uh, it empowers us to do a lot of other things, but also in our prayer life. Um, there's times where Romans 8, 26 and 27, right, like, he intercedes on our behalf. And, like, we don't even have the right words to say and, and come to God. Um, and so... In closing, uh, essentially, I would say that you can pray to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
um, because it's very clear that they are all equal. They're all one, um, none above the other. And that's, that's really, that's the crux for me is I look at that, I'm like, man, that's, it's okay to pray to them um, because God says, come talk to me, come seek after me. And they're all magnificently involved in the gospel, right? The gospel wouldn't be possible without the other. Um, and the same thing with prayer. And so if we stick to just praying to, and there's nothing wrong with this, but if we stick to just praying to Heavenly Father or just Jesus or just Holy Spirit, we miss out on who God is. It's these three beautiful persons working together in the God, you know, the being God. Um, and that's just powerful because it, it gives us a reminder of who God is when we go into him in our, in our prayer life. Um, and so I, I would say that's, that's my thing to say. We could pray to all of them um, because we're seeking God after we're, when we're seeking those, those three persons of his, his being. So, yeah. Great. Uh, I would I would say that I really resonate with uh, kind of what Dan was talking about when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit. I mean, when I was in college, uh, I had kind of that similar idea of how we refer to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I go back and forth still because it's ingrained in my head from the time that I was young, the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit. But one of the things that I recognize is that growing up in the church, I, I grew up in a church that uh, taught about the Holy Spirit, but didn't really like, you know... Uh, it wasn't, at times it felt like the Holy Spirit was an impersonal force rather than God. And for me, I think one of the more eye-opening things as I was in college was just that understanding that Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but is a very personal God who has been sent to have real impact in our lives uh, that we can communicate with that is there to be our helper, as you said, our interceder. And so for me, uh, there was just this real growing and, and again, a continuing growing knowledge of who God is, but also that I can call on him for his help, especially in times of need. Yeah, like I prayed, Holy Spirit, help us up here this morning, right? Give us the right words. Give us the right words as we we're writing these down. So, yeah. yeah. I would... Uh... You know, as I think through that and we were talking, you know, a lot of how we address God is shaped by our upbringing, um, how maybe our mother or father prayed. Uh, for me, when, when Dan asked that question, I almost always say, dear God, is that what was, what was modeled? And then I typically close with, you know, in the name of Jesus or in your son's name, amen. And, and we do that, especially the closing, we see that in scripture, Jesus say, you know, ask in my name. Uh, that there's power in the name of Jesus, and so we, we pray that way. Uh, but often, sometimes our um, upbringing, our tradition, or even our preference can sometimes uh, end up pushing us to look at how other people pray and think like, oh, you're doing this wrong, that there's somehow this perfect right way. Instead of going, man, at my heart, when I address God, I'm, I'm doing it out of a reverence, uh, doing it, how do I communicate to him? And then could I think the same thing as when they say, dear Jesus, it's a little different than how I would normally do it, but not that it's sinful somehow or wrong. And, and we got to be careful that we don't take kind of a tradition or a preference and say, this is exactly how it has to be. Yeah, I really love the, the depth and the richness and the diversity that we, uh, we have in how we approach, uh, approach God in prayer. It's beautiful. 
Let's move to the next question. This one is, uh, this one's a heavy one as well. It's a, <laughs> here's kind of a paraphrase. I know that no person, entity, circumstance, organization can take us out of the hand of God once we are saved by the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some references in John 10 and Romans 8. Uh, but, but Christians can sometimes get them in a, themselves in a position to decide to walk away from their salvation. And, and the question is, is it ever possible for a person to walk away from their faith and, in effect, lose their salvation? What a light question. Brian? Whew. All right. So is it ever possible for a person to lose you know, their salvation? And, and I think... For all of us, for me personally as well, that this is a question that we hold close because we have people that we know, people that we love, family, friends, that we've journeyed through life with that, um, that either A, we want to have come to faith in, in Jesus or that at, at some point in time, maybe they've made a, a faith profession and maybe they've seemingly walked away from that. And we wonder, what does that mean, right? Um, what does this idea of eternal security mean for us uh, as well? Can we ever uh, lose that in, in any way? So th- this is a question that has been um, discussed in the church for centuries, and uh, primarily in, in the church, there, there have been kind of like, two main ways of, of looking at scripture and, and, and handling the, this question. And the, the, the first response to that question is, well, well, no, for you have, you've made this faith profession that, you know, what Paul writes in Romans 10, that we, we, we confess with Jesus in our hearts and with our mouths, and then we will be saved that he is our Lord and savior. And, um, from there, we would say that if it appears that someone has stepped away from their faith or walked away from their faith, we, we would just say, well, maybe their faith wasn't genuine or authentic uh, in, in the first place. Um, so that's kind of one main way of looking at this. And then we have a, a second way of looking at this um, throughout the centuries has been, um, yes, a person can make this faith profession. And we have these warnings in scripture about drifting away or wandering away or being led astray. And, and so, yes, you, you could, um, uh, lose, lose that faith, lose that salvation. So I guess how I would begin to answer that question, what happens at that moment? What happens in that point when we say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I confess that I need you in my life and I want to follow you like all of my days. You know, what happens to us positionally in that moment? And, and we know at that moment in time that the old has gone, the, the new has come. We also read that Jesus... Um, you know, Galatians 2.20 comes and lives, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells uh, within us. So you know, what happens is, is an amazing, is, is an amazing uh, thing in, in our lives as we begin this process of being regenerated and, and everything else that goes along with it. And 
And so then the secondary question is, well, well then what happens uh, after that? What is the, the piece of security, we might say? How, how do I know this to be true, or what holds that? And maybe the appropriate response is, who holds that, right? And it, it is God. And specifically, Ephesians 1 talks about being sealed by the, the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter writes in, in 1 Peter about how... Uh, through the power of God that we have been shielded and, and guarded with, with our faith um, as we continue to uh, walk each and, and every, every step. And so um, what, what can then happen to us? And specifically, I'd, I'd like to uh, read a passage out of uh, John 10. And these are the words of Jesus, and in context to this passage uh, where Jesus is talking uh, about being the shepherd, and uh, at a, a festival, some, some Jews come and approach him, and he responds to them, and this is uh, John 10, uh, 25 through 30. So Jesus answers, he answers the Jews, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, one, it's like, it's like there's, in, in the Greek, there's double negatives here. You'd be like, no, 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 never is the emphasis here that Jesus will be able to snatch out of the hands of God, us. And we can also think about the journey that we're on and what Paul writes in Philippians 1 about how he who began that good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. And, and so if we think that all of a sudden Jesus is unable to complete that work in us, then that really questions our whole understanding of God and his power and the work of Christ in our lives in the first place. So um, for us to really have security within who we are in, in, in our faith, and really that security rests uh, with, with Christ. And which kind of gets to how do you handle those passages of Scripture that, you know, that, that lean towards beware, you know, do not drift away, be, beware, you know, my, my, my children of what might uh, lead you astray and do not drift away. And um, we'd also say that those are words of warning. Those are words that, hey, we need to continue to persevere in our faith, continue to um, seek the Lord each and every day and live that faith out in, in, in active in ways. Um, I think that's why we gather together to continue to spur one another on, right, in, in our faith, to gather together to encourage one another to, to not lose hope. And kind of gets to this final issue, right, of the words, whether y you think uh, one thing or another, and we probably have a, a variety of that here in, in, in our congregation, of whether we think we can or can't. But regardless, I believe all of us desire the same thing. 
is to continue to have lifelong faith. And if someone either we think that has walked away from the faith or the faith, maybe they've lost their faith, well, the prayers are still the same, that God, that you would bring them back to you. And, and our prayers would be, Jesus, is there any way that I, I, I can be a part or a role to play within bringing them uh, back uh, to faith? And so I just wanted to finish uh, my portion of sharing here with uh, some scripture out of 1 John. These words, um, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, which is just, I think, a, a reiterance of the guarantee of our, our salvation. Um, reads this way, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever uh, does not have the Son of God does not have life. In verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So those of us that live and profess and declare that, Jesus, you are the Son of God, you are my Savior, we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to worry about, because that faith, the salvation, eternity, cannot be snatched from, we can't be snatched from the hands of God, and that is, we are secure um, in, in, that, in that truth, in the truth of God. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about what you said there is that, uh, one, I know, we know that there are people in this room that hold that position uh, in, in either form that you mentioned. Uh, and that this conversation is not one of uh, uh, dividing in the Christian of faith, in the Christian faith. It's not one that should divide us. It's not a salvific issue in and of itself about whether or not uh, what you believe does it determine your salvation. However, what I, what I understand from my own experience to growing up is that this question really goes to the heart of our own fear of, am I saved? Or what about my friend or family member that I love or care about deeply? And especially it comes up when we experience a loss or death in, in this life and we wrestle with, well, was my family member saved? Maybe they prayed a prayer when they were young and yet lived really bad the rest of their life. And was that enough? And how do we know? And, you know, for me as a young man, I was that kid that grew up in the church uh, every single day when we had night services every single night and was there constantly. But even as a young person, uh, junior high years especially, I really struggled with whether or not I was saved. I was afraid because I didn't seem to always live that good boy Christian life. I had a friend uh, who I won't say his name uh, since this is on live stream, but I mean, seriously, I think he went to the altar 20 times in a given year year to receive Christ. He was so terrified that he wasn't saved. And some of you are nodding your heads because you were that person, right? I mean, it's that, that fear that we have. And I so much appreciate that passage you shared this morning because my own youth pastor, when I was wrestling, took me to that passage in 1 John to remind me that, look, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are saved if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and your Lord, as your Lord and Savior, and you persevere in that faith and following him to the end. And that is how we can know without a shadow of a doubt. But the truth is, is that you know when we, when we wrestle with our friends and were they saved or not, and we feel that angst and pain, 
we can trust and rely in which I'll let somebody else take this is uh, that God is good, but he is the one that ultimately knows that answer and we must entrust it to him. Yeah, I mean, the goodness of God when we struggle through seeing um, someone maybe follow what we would say is fall away from faith. Maybe it's a child, especially, you know, working in student ministry. I see parents, right, in great distress over their, over their children. You know, I brought them up in the church. They knew, they, they believed, and I don't know what's going on. And one of the things that for me I've, I've been able to take comfort in is the goodness of God, that we believe that God is truly good, not just partially good, not just good some of the times, like me, when it kind of fits my agenda, but he is good totally and completely at all time. And if this is true, then when I think, are they, are they going to be with God, or are, are, are they fall away, or eternal security, or not, I can rest in what it says in Scripture is God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It says that he doesn't want any to perish, but all to find life. And if I know that God is good, that he is going to give every opportunity, he is merciful and gracious, that he wants us to know him and to then spend eternity with him. And I can trust in that even when I'm in conflict with how I maybe see someone's life going or questioning that, that I can be, that I can trust that God is good completely and fully. Just yeah, to add to that, like I was, I was a person who walked away from God in my life. Um, for six years, I, I walked away, away. And I would agree, like, God is good. And he's also a pursuer. Um, that is something that, like, I look back at my life and, like, man, God continually pursued after me. And he pursues after his people. And so that's just on top of his goodness and just who he is, the fact that he, like, he's pursuing us because he wants to be with us. He wants a relationship with us. Um, yeah, it's a big deal. That's just that's comforting to think, like, man, it's not all on us that God is with us pursuing those that we love and care about that may have walked away or still aren't there yet, still haven't professed. So, yeah. Amen. Amen that God is good and he pursues us. And we can, uh, we can rest in that. Um, heavy questions. We're going to take a little pause on the heavy questions for a moment. And because I'm the moderator facilitator, I'm going to answer the, uh, the, the following question. December 25th is recognized as Jesus' birthday, yet that's not seen in the Bible. Where exactly did that come from? Well, a couple of things pop into my head pretty, uh, pretty quickly, and that is that the, that calendar date, just to confirm it, December 25th, I, I don't find it in the Bible uh, either. But what I do find is that uh, the Christmas day, the birth of Christ, that is in the Bible, and that is the point, and that is the day that Jesus, in human form, came onto this earth to atone for our sins, to reconcile us back to God, and that is the key part of, uh, of Christmas, not the specific date. As far as the kind of the tradition goes, there's some theories about how uh, December 25th came up, what we can kind of trace back is that the... Church of Rome in about 335, 36, somewhere in that time frame, began celebrating uh, Christ's birth on December 25th, which coincided with a Roman holiday around the winter solstice. And, uh, and so that was, uh, that's where we, from a traditions perspective, that's where we found, uh, or we, um, where December 25th became the day we celebrate. 
But again, the point is, back to the real, the real point is that it's all about Christ and his birth, not the date itself. All right, that was the commercial break. Let's jump into another one here, uh, the next question. So uh, maybe discuss some of the main differences between Catholic practices, Christian practices, things like, hey, why, why not pray to Mother Mary as an example? Yes, all right. How many people here grew up in the Catholic Church? Just to raise a hands, okay? How many people here know somebody that is currently in the Catholic Church? Raise your hand, right? Okay, it's Toledo. I think most of us would, would raise our hands. Um, so uh, I, this is such a, such a good question, and a number of people asked uh, questions like this about what are the main differences between uh, Christianity, Catholicism, and that in and of itself can be a little bit confusing. We might want to really couch it as the differences between Protestant uh, faith and the Catholic faith, uh, because we know that especially in our culture, the word Christian is used very broadly at times to define, to speak about Catholics, to speak about Christians, but even people in the Mormon church will call themselves Christians. And so I think it's important for us to kind of really clarify what we're talking about, the difference between the Catholic faith and Protestant Christian faith. Uh, so uh, I think the best place to begin within that is to just give uh, a little bit of a picture of of Martin Luther, uh, a quick picture of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. This whole team of people laughed at me when I said quick and the Reformation. So um, just know, I promise I'm not about to give you a really long sermon. If I were to try to nutshell down where uh, Protestantism came from, the Protestant Christian faith, uh, Martin Luther, who was, was uh, Catholic, uh, as he studied God's word, there were some very deep things about practices that were happening within the Catholic Church that bothered him because he did not see that they actually aligned to the teaching of the Bible. Um, you know that uh, it was, I think, October 31st of 1517 that he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church uh, in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, as he uh, nailed those there, it was a statement that he said, hey, there are some really distinct ways in which I see the Catholic Church has strayed from the teaching teachings of scripture. And so as he read scripture, uh, some of the main things that he had an issue with specifically had to do with what was called the indulgence system. It was how they would pay money in order to receive forgiveness of sin or salvation, how they would do certain practices in order to earn their forgiveness or their salvation, uh, things like that. Uh, he had also issues with people going to the priest for the forgiveness of sin rather than directly to God. I mean, you could go on and on, there were a number of things that he listed. This is where that split kind of came about. And so the question that is asked here is then what are the main differences? And uh, we could spend a long time, there are a, uh, there's a long number of things that are very different in how we practice our faith and especially in our theology, but just a couple of examples. Uh, we differ in terms of sin and penance. Within the Catholic Church, there are different types of sin, venial sins, right? All, all these different types of sins. And you can go to the priest and there are certain works that you can do in order to receive your 
forgiveness of sin. Uh, there are still some semblance of indulgences that are practiced uh, that can give you the forgiveness of sin. And we differ greatly uh, in that way. Uh, another way that we differ is in uh, the role of Mary, which I'll talk about. That was part of the question and how we view Mary. Uh, the infallibility of the Pope is one that the Catholic Church sees the Pope as the mouth, infallible mouthpiece of God where the, the church would not. And so there are some very differing practices. If I were to try to boil down in a simple nutshell, which does not do justice to this conversation and the time that we have, I would say that the major differences between the Catholic faith and Protestant faith is that the Catholic faith is really based upon a system of works for forgiveness of sin and for salvation, where we as a Protestant faith uh, do not base it on that. We believe that forgiveness comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's where our salvation comes from, and that forgiveness comes as a free gift of grace that is given as we seek God and confess our sin directly to him. And so that is really the major difference, and I will stress that this morning that is an important and essential difference because it changes our understanding of salvation salvation, okay? Our understanding of theology is really important. I'll come back to that. Uh, next thing is, uh, why don't we pray to Mary? And it was part of this question as well. And I'll just uh, give you a couple simple things. If you want to talk about this more, I would love to engage with you on this. Number one, because Mary is not God. When we read the Bible, we are instructed that there is one God. He is the all-powerful creator of all things, over all things, and he is the one that we go to. Mary is a created being that was created by God is not God himself. For us to actually say, so there is uh, within the Catholic faith, um, there is this idea, I, sorry, I don't want to get off, uh, off track here. Uh, there is this idea that Mary in some way, shape, or form actually has power over Jesus or over God to accomplish certain things. Like because Mary was the mother of Jesus, she can have influence over him. And so you pray to Mary and she can exert her influence. Can you just think with me for a moment? Does that make sense? Even just on a very practical level in the Bible of your knowledge of who God is, the creator of all things, over all things, is it possible that Mary could ever have power or dominion over the God who is all-powerful? Absolutely not. When we look in Scripture, we also read that uh, Mary is not the mediator between God and men. What does 1 Timothy teach us in, in chapter 2, verse 5? That there is one mediator, the Scriptures say, and that being Jesus Christ. And so why do we not pray to Mary? Because scripture makes it clear that Mary was a very important instrument of God that was used to bring the savior of the world into the world, but she herself was part of the creation. God and God alone is the one that acts on our behalf. Jesus is that mediator between God and men. And so that is why we, we believe that. Uh, the last thing that I'll say on this question is, is just simply this. The question that often is asked when we're wrestling with questions of the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism is, are there Catholics who are Christian? And uh, this, this can be, I will readily confess, a, a confusing question. Um, are there people, because, and let me just case it this way. 
It can be confusing because there are people that identify as Catholic almost like a heritage, even as opposed to a faith. Does that make sense? That, that, that it's like, I grew up in this, I'm Catholic. It's, a, it's like an ingrained part of who I am. And yet, I know people that will identify that way and say, but I don't hold to uh, the Catholic doctrines. I believe that I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so, when we talk about this, are there, are there Catholics who are Christians? Here's what I want you to catch. What is the most important thing that defines who is a follower of Jesus Christ and who has salvation? Do you have faith in Jesus? Is your salvation through him alone? It's not a system of works. It is by faith in him alone. And so when you are thinking about your own friends or your family members in the Catholic faith and wrestling with, well, are they saved or are they not? In our culture today, it's very easy to take Christianity and Catholicism and make them kind of very similar. We have to understand at their core, they are very distinct. One is a system of works, righteousness and salvation. The other is a system of salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is how we determine, and God determines, who has received salvation. Yeah, I would <clears throat> agree with you. There's a lot of stuff theologically-wise that right, we would not see eye to eye with on, on the Catholic faith. Um, but also, like, want to say that there's a lot of practices that they do um, that I think are great. Um, and just that I, I look at the Catholic Church and, some things I think that they do really well that kind of the Christian church is kind of lost or forgotten about. And, and some of that's like a reverence like for God, like the, like the, the majesty that he holds, like the, the king. He's the king, right? And it just got me thinking of like when I go into a Catholic church or do a Catholic wedding, um, all the kneeling they do um, during the services and things like that. Um, and I'm not sure where like someone's heart is while they're doing that. It could just be a tradition. Um, but the act of bowing before God um, is powerful. And there's times when I'm sitting in the congregation and um, a few, you know, when I'm up here on stage, I, I kneel, but then when I'm in the congregation, sometimes I feel weird. Like, I feel like I should be on my knees right now before God, but I feel like I can't because people might think I'm weird or it might be like, like okay, like, does he think he's more spiritual than me because he's on his knees? Or, you know, there's like this kind of angst of like, can I actually just get on my knees right now? And like, it won't bother anyone or distract anybody. Um, and so how I see like that, there's things that they do in the Catholic Church. I'm like, wow, that's, that's really cool that we've kind of lost touch with a little bit um, in, in the Christian church today. Yeah, I, I grew up in a uh, Methodist church and really didn't know much about a Catholic uh, church at all until you know, later on. Um, basically probably until I started a you know, pastoral ministry and uh, our, our first call, we lived right next door to uh, a Catholic church. And so one of the, the practices, and it had a very large uh, bell tower and uh, every day at seven in the morning, at eight in the morning, at noon, at five o'clock, at six o'clock. Um, and then Christmas Eve at midnight, it rang for like 10 minutes. And what I think I learned was to appreciate was a devotion um, that was, I think, what Dan shared about what's going on in the heart. Kind of the same for us. You know, we can be here in the room, but if our heart is devoted to Christ or not, it doesn't mean just because you're here sitting here doesn't mean that's true. Um, but one thing that 
impacted me was just this devotion because each one of those times was a time for prayer where there would be cars, people would show up for mass and to, um, I, I trust, the, the, a heart uh, seeking the Lord. And um, I took that, often a discipline called praying the hours, um, as rhythms of prayer for my own life that um, I, I'm not perfect at doing that every day, but try and find a specific timeline and, and, and pattern of prayer in my life, often dealing with what time it is during the day. And so that's something that the, the Catholic Church has, has a practice that they've, you know, has taught me to grow my walk with Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's a really important distinction, the difference between theology and also practice. And the reverence that the Catholic Church holds, I think, is something the Protestant Church could actually learn a lot from still. I'll simply close with this thought uh, before we move on to the last question, which is uh, one of the things we need to do is we need to make sure that when it comes to our faith and our understanding of us and different faiths, is that we need to read the Bible with really great discernment and understand what we believe, but also what others believe. Uh, it was when uh, uh, we had a, a speaker here, Christopher Yuan, not that long ago. He gave us a quote that I think is so uh, important for this conversation specifically. And uh, it was, he quoted uh, Spurgeon who said, discernment is not the difference between right and wrong, but it's the difference between right and almost right. And I believe that for us, when it comes to this question, Catholicism and Christian, uh, Catholicism and Protestantism are so closely tied together that it is essential for us to have a deep understanding of God's word, what it teaches. And this is the very reason that Martin Luther, all the way back at the Protestant Reformation, stood up when it would be very unpopular and said, there's something wrong here. It's off. And so it's important for us to understand those nuances. Yeah, so true. Uh, okay, so take a deep breath, do a little bit of the wiggles. We're going to jump into this ne next question here. Um, the Alliance has pre-trib in its what we believe statement. I'm not pre-trib, pre but don't have a problem with those who are and think it's an issue we can agree to disagree on. That the Lord is coming back, we must affirm and agree on, but how exactly that's going to play out is scripturally debatable. Can we agree to disagree in the body of Christ about this issue? Oh, boy. Right? A question that has been debated and talked about, actually, as a lot of these questions have been, which is we're still wrestling with them, trying to figure them out and discern. And so these are not a lot of new questions. These are old questions that have been around. Um, first, I just want to walk you through, um, as a Christian Missionary Alliance Church, our statement of faith um, currently reads like this on uh, this topic. I'll put it up on the screen. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent and will be personal, uh, personal visible, and premillennial. This is the believer's blessed hope and is a vital truth, which is an incentive to holy living and faithful service. And so you notice there that actually pre-trib or pre-tribulation is not in there. Um, as a Christian missionary alliance, they do not make... Um, 
a statement on that. Uh, there's a lot of different views. What the statement currently is pre-mill or pre-millennium or pre-millennialism. And this is, uh, there's kind of a lot of thought on this. This comes out of Revelation 20, uh, where it talks about this thousand year reign. And there's kind of three views on that and nuances to all of those. But really quickly, let me hit those so you kind of can understand before we answer the pre-trib question. Pre-mill is this idea that, or uh, belief that Jesus, at his second coming, comes in to the earth, right? He's visible and and all the things that's talked about in in the statement, and that he ushers in a literal thousand-year kingdom where he is on the earth, but before the final judgment takes place. Um, And so this is... um, kind of classical premillennialism is that belief that he comes back, that he reigns, um, and there's things that go along with that, but that then he sets up his kingdom before the, the eventual end with the new heaven and the new earth. We also have post-mill, which is the belief that they can sometimes say this thousand years is maybe figurative or it's literal, but it's going to happen before his coming back. And so he's going to come back after a thousand years. They see the world as getting better, that the gospel is going to go out into the world, uh, that it's going to transform our world in a way that we have yet to see. Um, And then that is when Jesus comes back. And so they fundamentally disagree with uh, is the world getting better or worse before Jesus comes back and a little bit of the role of the gospel into the, the world. You then have Amil. Hopefully you're staying with me here. Ah, uh, where you think of atheist, that A meaning no God. So it's no millennium, which is a little bit of a mischaracterization in that if uh, someone that is Amil would say that they see that thousand years as something that is figurative of the timing between Jesus' death and resurrection, so his ascension, and then his coming back. And we're currently in the millennium right now, and that they would say that the world is going to get worse before it gets better, but that when Jesus comes back, he's not setting up this earthly kingdom for a thousand years that we're in that right now. And so currently, our denomination takes the pre-mill stance but has since the beginning, so this is A.B. Simpson is kind of the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, worked very closely with people that held different beliefs. Many of you probably hold a different view on this or maybe no view at all. And it's actually something our denomination is currently talking through as seeing it as something that we shouldn't split over this issue because we're all saying he's coming back, right? This is the thing that he's Coming back, Satan's going to be defeated. He is going to win in the end. Jumping back to the question then, that the question on pre-trib is the question on the rapture. Pre-trib is the stance that the rapture is going, the church is going to be taken up before the great tribulation, which is typically viewed as the seven-year time period. And then if you're pre-trib, that Christ come back, comes back, takes the church out of this. The seven years happens before he comes back for the millennium kingdom. And so pre-trib would say, hey, we, we are not part of the final uh, great tribulation. 
Mid is the belief that he comes back somewhere in between. And you can also be what's called pre-wrath. We don't have time to get into it, but that Jesus takes us out partway through. Uh, take us up to be with him. The word that we get wrapped from is caught up or brought up. And that that is going to happen at the very end after kind of all the tribulation has taken place. And so even on, on our staff here, we take different views of that. For me, I would go, I see Christ coming back as a singular event. The day of the Lord is this singular event where death is defeated. Um, Christ uh, reigns. We are given new imperishable bodies. There's a judgment, the separation of the righteous and the unrighteous, a new heaven and a new earth. And that comes all at one point. But you'll see that all of us are very readily sitting with each other in, in community with one another because we see it as something not to split over. This isn't, this isn't a salvation issue that we should be splitting over. Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> no. <laughs> you gave me the look, like, are you going to do this? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's because um, in the first service, um, you would mentioned that most pre-millennials are pre-tribulation. Um, and I hold my stance kind of loosely. I'm still figuring what I believe out, you know, with all that. Um, but I would say, right, like pre-mill, post-tribulation, because um, when you look in scripture, I'm like, man, as a Christian, it's about enduring. And there's a lot of things that you have to go through. And so I'm like, is, is, could it be a pre-trib? Um, then I'm also like, I'm really cool with changing my theology in the air, you know, if, if it is pre-trib. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. The one, there's a great, there's a great quote of just talking. No one's going to be arguing when Jesus comes back, right? Amen. Like all of us are like, let's Amen. go. We're ready for Amen. it. Amen. That is so true. I grew up uh, definitely uh, pre-trib rapture, belief pre-millennial, uh, largely because I watched those uh, movies that were terrifying as a young child. Um, with the left, the creepy "You've Been Left Behind" song. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Thief in the Night. That was the name of the movie. Oh, scared me into heaven. Okay, so, um, but, so I definitely grew up believing, like, oh, I don't want to have my head cut off like happened at the end of that movie, so I'm, I'm, I'm fully into pre-trib rapture. Uh, as I went through college, I think I have shifted to every position that you possibly could, to mid, to, to pre-wrath, to post, and now where do I sit? That Jesus will come again. I mean, guys, uh, there are a lot of good scriptures that can... Can, that seem to lean each way. And I know that there are some people that hold to this very tightly, like you must believe this. Can I tell you and remind you, I'm gonna preach on this in, in a few weeks, uh, maybe more than a few weeks, maybe a month, uh, in a series entitled Urgency. When Jesus talked about the end times with his disciples, and they asked him, when is this going to happen? Help us to understand what we can see, what we can know so we can figure it out. What did he say? He did not answer their question. He changed the subject. And what subject did he change it to? Be ready. You don't know the day or the hour. You can't possibly know the day or the hour. No matter how much you read the book of Revelation and you watch what happens on the news and you try to connect X, Y, and Z, you will never know. They are meant to be signs that remind you that he is coming again. Be ready following him with all of your heart and have the passion that Jesus has for reaching lost people. Because tomorrow, if he shows up, whether it's a rapture or his second coming, 
It is the last opportunity for people to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that is the heart behind what Jesus pressed. And we shouldn't divide over things like this, but we should be in solidarity that Jesus has already won the victory. Satan is defeated, that he will come again. And when he comes, we will reign with him forever. Amen? Amen. That's all the time we got. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the time that we have had uh, together today to just wrestle with questions of faith and theology. Uh, Lord, I know that there are many other questions that reside in this room, even questions we didn't have time to get to today. But Lord, uh, I thank you that you've given us a place where we can wrestle with truth. But even more importantly, as we guide and direct our hearts to you, that we know that you will continue to guide us into the things that you desire for us, which we landed on here today, which is we need to follow you with all of our hearts, to submit our lives to you in faith, knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for our sin because we are not good enough to earn our salvation, but it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us when we place our faith in you and that, Lord, you see us as your children. Thank you for that promise. Help us, Lord, to submit our hearts to you in faith continually and to be faithful until the end, whether that's you coming again or the day that we die and go to be with you. But even more importantly, until either of those times come, would you place a passion within our hearts that there are people all around us that you have placed near us that don't know you and that we have a message that we can share that will bring them to a place of salvation. Would you put the boldness and the passion of Jesus inside of our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you give us the words to speak, the knowledge to know what to share, and would you work in the hearts of those that we are sharing with to bring them to a place where they receive salvation in Jesus Christ? Lord, Father, we give you thanks. And we ask that you would take these things and cement them in our hearts, that we would live with our whole hearts for you and on mission with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
turned on. There we go. Thank you for worshiping with us today. One of the things that we know, uh, and I and actually I want to just say thank you for all of the questions that you submitted over the past couple weeks. Um, man, really good questions. Far too many for us to answer today. But what I love is that we can be a church where we can feel open to share the things that we're thinking about and the things that we're wrestling with. And we are going to take a number of those questions and continue to weave them in as we preach over the next many months together. Uh, but I do want to encourage you with this. We want to be a church that when you have questions that you are feel open to ask them and to search and look for answers and not just wait for us, but also begin that search on your own. But I want to encourage you today, if, even as we talk, if it, if it brings up more questions or it causes you to, to think about different things, come and talk to us as pastors. We would love to engage with you in conversations about God's word, theology, and faith, but also point you to resources that can help you as you continue to grow in your knowledge of God and your worship and serving of him. And so let's continue to press in together as we worship the Lord together. Just a couple things as we close this morning as a reminder that we have uh, elders that are here. Steve will be up here up front. If you would like someone to pray with today, uh, please come forward at the close of the service and he would love to lead you to our prayer room. Uh, we would just love that opportunity to pray with and pray over you. As well, uh, if you brought your tithes and offerings, again, those can be given in the back as you leave today. Thank you for your faithfulness. Every time you give a dollar to this church, it goes to sharing the good news of the gospel in our community and throughout the world. So thank you for supporting these ministries. And finally, as you go today, go as someone who is continuing to learn and grow in your own relationship with Christ, your knowledge of who God is, your love and your reverence for him. But go as well with a passion to take what you know and to share it with other people and look for those opportunities this week. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord. We'll see you next week.